Welcome back to the Baddie Girls Book Club and to our spoiler episode. I'm Danielle. And I'm Stephanie. And today's episode is for our listeners who have read the whole series. Yes, every book, all five from Akatar, so A Court of Thorns and Roses, to A Court of Silver Flames. We are so excited to be able to talk about how it felt rereading this series, already having the knowledge of what happens in the remaining books. For today, we will be talking about the bits of foreshadowing that we picked up on in book one as it pertains to the rest of the series. But again, we will be referencing all five books in this episode. Now is your time to leave, ahem, Julia and Caitlin, if you have not finished A Court of Silver Flames. First, I have to say, rereading this book was a whole different experience, and I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And one thing that was so hard to not blurt out the whole first episode, yes, I'm screaming, was my distaste for Tamlin. And my love for Reese, pretending yeah. we didn't know, <laughs> pretending so. we didn't know how much we would love this man, Reese, was probably the hardest part of doing the first episode spoiler free. Yes, I would like to publicly and personally apologize to anyone who had to listen to us talk about our guy Tamlin in episode one. We didn't mean it, but we were trying to be spoiler free. We are Reese stands on this account. We are not team Tamlin. <laughs> we are not. We are not. But secondly, yes, I have to agree. I feel like being able to reread this book for the second time, I picked up on so many more things. I think that seeing the red flags, specifically in relation to Tamlin and his control and his selfishness when it comes to his relationship with Farah, I did not pick that up the first time. I was kind of team Tamlin. I definitely was the first read, but the reread, I sure wasn't. I actually think before we even get into foreshadowing and whatnot, tell me your thoughts on Tamlin hate on, that you see on social media. I have this internal debate with myself yes. on, I I think just from talking to other people about the book and hearing different perspectives, I do not like Tamlin. Mm -hmm. Okay, right? I'm not saying that I, I like that man, that I want him for Farah, <laughs> but I do, I also do not feel like he should be... I, I would be game for a redemption arc for Tamlin. I feel yes. like the, the beginning of A Court of Mist and Fury, I felt bad for him. Yeah. He did not deserve to just be left high and dry. I feel like his intentions were in the right spot. He just had a terrible way of executing on them. Fair. I do agree with that. And as much as I joke about, you know, Tamlin, we don't like Tamlin, and all the names that we call Tamlin behind his back, I am a sucker for a redemption arc. I would yes. love I would love a redemption arc and I don't mean that I want him to be with Farah by any means or really any of the characters that I like in the book. Yeah, we'll talk Tamlin and the evolution of his character in the remaining books, but I think for a good chunk of our episode today, we cannot ignore the fact that there were so many hints about the bond between yes. Reese and Farah in Book one. I think the biggest and the most obvious one is when the Surreal tells Farah to stay with the High Lord. When I found out about the bond between Reese and Farah, I kind of had this light bulb of like, oh, duh, it was talking about Reese. But then I was like, but wait, maybe it was talking about 
Tamlin because she needed to stay with Tamlin to break the curse. So in A Court of Wings and Ruin, the serial says, quote, I told you to stay with the High Lord and you did. I think I have mixed feelings on this because I also, once I figured out that her and Reese had this meeting bond and she ends up staying with him and writes Tamlin a cute note like, I'm fine. I left on my own will. Bye. <laughs> I was like, oh, cute. Like maybe that's what the serial meant. But I think in relation to the first book, it does make sense that the serial told her to stay with the High Lord and all will be right-end. I think that was the key phrase that led me to believe that the serial was talking about Tamlin and that was the only way to fix the blight, fix the problems of Prithian, mm. the only way to be Amarantha. That's how I viewed it. Uh, yeah, but I think that was one of our really big ones. Then in chapter 20 of Akatar, this is during Calanmay, Farah disregards Tamlin's order to stay in her room, and she recalls there being a string that's tied to her gut that is pulling her towards the hills. And as we know, when she gets to Calanmay, she's searching around, and she finds Reese, who we don't know is Reese at the time, but now we know and he does his infamous quote there you are i've been looking for you where are all my taylor swift fans because reading this line my first thought is her song invisible string i love it it's so sweet it perfectly sums up this whole feeling that they're having in my opinion i love it so we have our infamous reese quote that there you are i've been looking for you and then when we get to chapter 54 in A Court of Mist and Fury, this is the chapter, if you know, you know. Yeah. Like, this is this is the chapter. The chapter. <laughs> yes. And the one main thing that happens in this chapter is when Reese starts explaining more about the bond to Farah. And so we learn a little bit more about that quote that he said in Akatar, there you are, I've been waiting for you. So... I took bits and pieces of, he had a very, very long conversation with her, but bits and pieces, he says that three years ago, he began to have these dreams. At first, they were glimpses as if he were staring through someone else's eyes, that he thought nothing of them until one of the images was of a beautiful human hand, aka Pharaoh's, and this hand was holding a brush. She was painting flowers on a table. And then at that time, Reese had pushed a thought back through the bond and he pushed an image of the night sky aka valeris he said that he saw her through her dreams and he hoarded the images sorting through them over and over again trying to place where you were who you were but then one night you dreamed of standing amongst the green hills seeing unlit bonfires for callan may and he knew there was only one celebration that large he knew the hills and he knew that she would probably be there which is how he <laughs> ended up at callan may he smelled her he tracked her scent and there you were. I have been looking for you. And I think, like, my aha moment was, he, he actually wasn't lying about this. When I first read it, I thought he was trying to be protective and saying, like, oh, yeah, I've been looking for you. You know how, yes. you know, like, if your friends got your back, like, oh, girl, yes. someone's on the phone for you. Like, I thought he was just trying to be protective. But I he think, literally was looking I for I think her. we were supposed <laughs> to think that, too. Yes. yes. In my opinion, that was a little Easter egg that SJM was giving us, and we didn't know until we knew. So you mentioned that Reese saw a beautiful hand, Farrah's hand painting other things that she painted that I really enjoyed rereading because I was like, oh, 
this makes sense. She painted the dresser drawers in her house that her and her sister shared. So there was three of them. She painted one as flowers for Elaine. She painted a crackling fire on Nesta's and she painted the night sky on her own. Okay. This makes sense. She ends up being the high freaking lady of the night court. Thank you. Yes. This is amazing. Nesta, silver flame, say no more, crackling fire, it makes sense, a literal spitfire, if you will, and then flowers on Elaine, I think this is going to be bigger than just her love of gardening, and we can talk more about this soon when we chat about theories. Woohoo, I'm so excited. (laughs) The mating bond in uh, for Farrah and Reese in Akatar is often described as um, a thread that's pulling Farrah in a certain direction. So in chapter 46 of Akatar, Farrah says that she was pulled from sleep by something tugging at her middle, a thread deep inside. And this is similar to the quote that I was reading before when she was pulled to Cal and May. This specific night when she's pulled from her sleep, she wakes to find Reese and he wants to say goodbye. This this mm-hmm. is after they kill Amarantha mm-hmm. under the mountain. Reese wants to say goodbye, but he also says that he didn't want Farrah to fight alone or die alone, which reminds me of exactly what Farrah said to Tamlin when Tamlin had found the fairy and the fairy died in the foyer. And he was like, Farrah, why are you here? Like, why do you want to be here for this? And Farrah was just like, if this were me, I wouldn't want to die alone. And I think this is just proof that Reese has been with Farah a lot longer than Farah knew. And we're getting glimpses of this like sweet, compassionate side of him that we don't really know yet because the whole first part of the book is painting the night court and Reese as this like horrible monster. And he is actually the person that shows up for Farah, and I also want to call that out because he shows up for her even when she's puking her guts out from bad dreams in the beginning of A Quartermus and Fury anytime she's having these nightmares and I remember specifically while Tamlin is sleeping through it thank you I was gonna say I (laughs) Tamlin literally pretends to be asleep (laughs) while she is having these horrible nightmares some partner come on Seriously, like yeah. pat her back, please, something. Like do something. Help help us, you know, us out. Yeah. Like care. Be empathetic. And I think our guy Reese is. We love him. Anyway, so Reese is all sad to leave. And he hits us with another really sad quote. And he says that everything that he loves always has a tendency to be taken. I read this the second time as he's referring to Farah because she's here with Tamlin and he's on his way to say goodbye. I also thought about his mother at this point too and how his family was taken away from him. I really felt that as well. His whole court was taken from him. All of his closest friends were taken from him for 50 years while he was under the mountain. Everything he loved was taken from him. We're going we're gonna to have a turnaround yeah, we're, pretty yes. soon, Reese. We're, ha- we're having we're gonna New come Year. Back. New, yeah, we're New Year, New <laughs> Year. This next book is Reese's comeback season. <laughs> yeah, we love it. The green book, you know. If you know, you know. But before we can get there, Reese does say goodbye to Farah, and just before he leaves, he has this moment where he kind of has like this really shocked look on his face, and he just kind of turns, jolts, and leaves. And we find out later that this was the bond snapping into place. 
he says that he waited as long as he could and then he sent a tug see the thread the tug the pull he sent a tug through the bonds and then she came to find him and for once she looked at him like he was worth something that makes me oh, so sad same <laughs> literally ripped my heart out love you Reese. he said <laughs> he said when i went to leave you i think that transforming you into Faye made the bond lock into place permanently he'd known that it had existed but it hit him then so strong that he panicked and he knew if he stayed a second longer he would damn the consequences and take her with him and this also i remember seeing it from ferris point of view she was like he just kind of stared at me like he got went rigid and looked at me all weird so she also noticed like something was up but didn't know what and i love that it comes back and it's explained like why was he looking at her so weird before he <laughs> left and the fact that he was able to leave when we now know how powerful a mating bond is the fact that this man could walk away from her shows some freaking restraint and we know tamlin didn't have that kind of restraint when it comes to Farah. so props to reese another point against another point for gryffindor <laughs> tamlin <laughs> tamlin Slytherin. we can go down a whole rabbit hole i would love to do this sometime oh we could of who would be in which house tamlin is draco malfoy tamlin slytherin for sure. Maybe Reese would be like Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff. He's he loyal. Hufflepuff. Loyal. I'm Hufflepuff, so I would love him to be He's Hufflepuff. like, I could see him being like Snape. Yes. And Farah is Gryffindor 100% because she's like, I will do anything to do the right thing. And I don't care about yeah. my own like well-being. I think she is 100% Gryffindor. She's the Harry Potter. Nesta Ravenclaw? <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. Elaine, definitely Hufflepuff. <laughs> definitely Hufflepuff. <laughs> this is so fun. <laughs> then just keep on, keep on moving. What else we got? In chapter 10 of Akatar, Lucian and Farah encounter the, is it Bog, Bogey, or Bogue? We gotta know. Because in the, or au- in the audiobook, it says Bog. I noted it as like Cranberry Bog. So that I could remember it. But then the pronunciation guide is telling us otherwise. So your girls, your baddie girls are confused. We're very confused, but please let us know. But they encounter the, I'm going to say bogey. You're going to say bogey? Just to switch it up from episode one. I'm going to say bogey. (laughs) Farrah distracts herself. She's thinking of a starry, unclouded night sky that's peaceful and glittering and endless. And that keeps her protected from the boggy <laughs> the boggy <laughs> i'm gonna say it a different way every, every single time. time and then also in chapter 18 when tamlin brings farah to the pool of starlight she describes the setting that is filling her with both longing and mirth and that it just seemed right and i don't know yet and i don't think this was covered in any of the books if the pool of starlight has any connection to the city of starlight yeah like the sidra like maybe it's like a little runoff of the the sidra i love that i just have to say that this part of the book and many others where she talks about you know starry nights and painting the stars Mm -hmm. she is screaming to be in the night court okay she is destined to be high lady thank you very much Okay, so let's chat about our girl Nesta for a minute because I am team Nesta all the way. You will see this by the end of this series. 
I am Nesta 100%. I love Fair, don't get me wrong. And I'm interested to see if the reread makes me love Fair even more or pushes me to Team Nesta. But I'm Team Nesta. I think they're on the same team, but I just love Nesta so much. And I could not help but fixate on the part in Chapter 3 where Farrah mentions how impressive it is to watch Nesta go ramrod straight in front of the Children of the Blessed. And she specifically says she is like a queen without her throne. <laughs> I I have some theories around this. This is going to come back. I think Nesta could end up being the queen of Prithian. I could see that. The fact that she wasn't able to be glamored, everything that happened when she was put in the cauldron, how she took from the cauldron, she is different. She is made different. She is meant to be different. Aside, I had another theory the other day when I was thinking about, okay, if Nessa was actually born different and she's made from something else, I'm like, what if she was already like part fae or something? Like, what if her mom, like, what if her dad's not her real dad because her mom loved parties and was a party girl and then her dad and her never had a good relationship? Danny? You have raised a great point. Our Thank friend you. Sarah has shared a theory with us. I haven't heard it before, probably because I was yeah. avoiding spoilers, the broke bargain theory. And what she's saying is that maybe Mama Archeron was mm-hmm. a fae of some kind and made a bargain for whatever reason, maybe to be with Papa Archeron, we don't know. And the reason that she died and then conveniently fell into poverty after she passed was because their mother broke said bargain yes also amarantha comments on Farrah's name saying that it was of old fey language i didn't pick up on that and i think that's really interesting and then jumping the gun all the way to the last book how the heck else was pop archron able to get the nina the pinta and the the santa Santa freaking maria Maria. yes i am subscribed to this I was thinking about this at length like okay I don't think her mom just died of typhoid or whatever sickness I think that there was something bigger there she explains multiple times that her mother was cold towards them she only really seemed to like love her father potentially maybe they had a mating bond or some sort of bond beyond the marriage and I think that her mom was born fey half fey something along the lines the fact that her father knew about what was going on in perithian and was trying to work with the queen like how would he know that he Mm -hmm. yes he was a merchant and sale and this and that but he's just been like crumpled in poverty for so long it doesn't seem like he would know that unless previous to his life as a family man father there was something else going on he yeah. knows more than we think he knows. And I'm very, very curious to see what happens as the next books come out. But I think as this ties into what we were talking about before with Farah and Reese's mating bond, well, we said, how could Reese have a mating bond with Farah if she's human? Maybe. Maybe she's not fully human. But then how do we... How do we explain what happened under the mountain? I don't know. I'm going to leave that part up to SJM. I think, though, that when you're half fey, like, you can still die, if I'm thinking correctly. Um, So that would make sense that she would have still died from Amarantha. But she's referred to from Amarin as the 
only one other human has been made Faye. So if she was yes. half Faye. In summary, I don't think Nesta is was ever 100% just human. I really don't. And if she was, then she was a human destined to be more because of all of the qualities that make her such a terrifying high fae. Mm-hmm. Like she was I, powerful from the start. I agree. But I am very much so into the thought of Nesta being queen of Prithrian. I would oh, love good. that. Me too. I would love that. Queen Nesta. <laughs> Okay, so one other thing that I noticed in the reread, which was actually pretty early on, that I absolutely loved, highlighted, underlined, freaked out about, was when Farah is thinking about how to get this beast away from her family. She realizes that she has to go with Tamlin, aka the beast, to Prithian. We know that. She is really hoping to escape the treaty someday. We know she's trying to get away from him from the start. And she specifically says in her mind, even if she breaks the treaty, as long as the fairies can't find her, they can't hold her to it. Even if that makes her a cursed oath breaker. (laughs) This was like the first thing I caught on to in my reread that had me freaking out because we know hello fair curse breaker that's her nickname i love this reference because i feel like she goes from being just a normal girl in the mortal lands and then she goes to prithian she fights this battle under the mountain and she becomes such a high respected person and i just love that turn of events for her yes and everyone everyone refers to her as Fair curse breaker. Yes. She broke the 49, 50 year curse that Amarantha placed on their lands. She's fair curse breaker. So I absolutely love that little Ooh. Easter egg that she gave us. <laughs> Another thing that I absolutely love, we were speaking about how we really want us to be Queen of Prithian, but we can also talk about the other royalties, the high lords. And now, hi ladies, as we know. So in chapter nine, Fair is racking her brain. She knows that Prithian's ruled by seven high lords, and she keeps hearing about the she that we know is Amarantha. So in her mind, she's like, oh, well, maybe she's a high lady, except that's not possible because Tam Tam shoots her down. He's like, there are no high ladies here. And also, before, I don't know if it was before they were going to get married or just as she was talking to Tamlin, but she asked what her title would be. Or, yes. And and he said, well, there's no such thing. as He explicitly yes. said there's no such thing as a high lady. And when Farrah talks to Reese about this, he's just like, says who? Like, okay, gr- like, do your thing, girl. Pop off. You want to be high lady? Yes. That's fine. You can be whatever he basically the heck you says- be. We'll talk about that later. Or something like he he specifically says like, oh, we'll we'll get into that later because it is possible. And lo and behold, Fair becomes the first high lady of the night court. Another piece of maybe not foreshadowing, but just some language and situations that alluded to Tamlin having a big bad anger issue, like raging beast, is that when Fair and Lucian talk about. Tamlin going out and hunting the bog, the bogey, whatever you want to call it. 
Fear asks, like, oh, well, why can't we help him? And Lucian's like, oh, well, he'll basically, like, shred anyone that, you know, offers him help. He can handle it himself. So there's this some of this language that's used around Tamlin where I think people are a little bit scared of him. Like, they're a little bit nervous. He can transform into this beast mode. And then we see when Fair and him are in the study and he freaking shatters everything around her. And it's terrifying. Like, he has some serious anger issues one theory that I love related to this was talking about how we know when you know they were cursed by Amarantha she took some of the High Lord's powers so Tamlin wasn't able to use all of his powers he wasn't running at 100% and I know that Reese speaks about how later in the series when he can't use his power to do all of these like behind the scene things he'll basically like go crazy like he needs to be like constantly pushing out his power doing different things you know glamoring different things yeah he gets the zoomies like he's gonna go (laughs) crazy and so maybe this is maybe just a little plug towards Tamlin not being that off I'm not saying he should have raged the way he did and put fear in danger but Mm. maybe some of the some of the temper tantrums that he has could be related to him not being able to use his full power and going a little cuckoo because of it. Not an excuse, just maybe an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we touched on this before again, to be clear, we're not Tamlin fans, but I would say that we're also not Tamlin haters. I think the way that he hurt her inexcusable, we can't justify that behavior, but again, he did have, some redemptive qualities and I think at the heart of who Tamlin is and who he was with Farah is he he really did just want what's best for her and that was consistent even though he had a really bad way of showing it I, I think agree with that yeah I agree with that I do think Tamlin wanted what was best for her however he did not know what was best for her and he assumed 100%. that he did whereas Reese actually does like I'm not saying he knows what's best for her, but he looks to Farah to see what she needs. He's not just a suit. He doesn't make assumptions. Right. He knows her and understands her. He doesn't try to assert his own beliefs onto her. That's because they got that bond. Yeah. And he's got emotional <laughs> intelligence that I don't think Tamlin has. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we are the baddie girls and not the beastie girls. <laughs> I love that. I also, I almost look at... Farah's relationship with Tamlin I do think she really loved him or thought she loved him I feel like we can all look back at like our first loves our puppy love and be like oh I was so in love with that you know I thought I was so in love with them and then you get that like mature actually like healthy love and you're like oh it doesn't mean you weren't in love with the first person it's just different and maybe your concept and idea of love was different so I feel like Farah saying that she was so in love with Tamlin I don't think she realizes how what her capacity for love is until she gets with Reese and then she's like oh shoot (laughs) what was I thinking her prior experiences with Isaac Hale okay Isaac Hale not great not great and she also let's think about her father figure not really someone who's providing her with love care yep nothing he's not he's not taking care of her so I think it makes sense that the first male who's attractive mm-hmm. feeds her. <laughs> like helps her. Yeah, does something for her. And yeah. 
it's so interesting because you would think she would be so against well I guess she kind of is but she's so independent because she had to be she didn't have anyone ever providing for her or giving her that like emotional support and then all of a sudden she gets it and she's like wow <laughs> that's too much and I feel like yeah. Tamlin is so overbearing and we've all had that experience with the overbearing person where you're like woo you just love me a little too much and just gotta yeah. take a beat you know thank you for loving me but like yeah. You know, give me a breather. And yeah. I feel like she gets that with Reese. Like, she isn't being smothered. Okay, just some other observations that we had. Again, shout out to our friend Sarah. She drew some pretty cool parallels between Farah and Amarantha. So if you think about it, Farah basically becomes what Amarantha always wanted, but she never could be. So Amarantha had to steal her power from all of the High Lords, whereas Farah was gifted with their power. Amarantha wanted Tamlin and Reese. Tamlin and Reese wanted Farah. It's just, it's interesting how they are complete and polar opposites, but I think there was a little bit of, of envy in that situation. Can I also tack on another theory to this that involves yeah. Amarantha? So speaking about, you know, Amarantha and how much she wanted Tamlin, one of my favorite TikTok theories that I have seen so far hannah from tiktok shout out to hannah from tiktok has a theory where she talks about how tamlin and amarantha could be mates but it's one way so remember how steph you were talking about in our first episode you were like why is she so hell-bent on getting with tamlin like she is desperate okay maybe interesting maybe that's because there's a bond there and Tamlin is just like absolutely not he is rejecting it he does not want to be with this like horrible horrible person similar to how Elaine's feeling with Lucian at the time it would make sense as to why she is so obsessed with him and she just cannot let it go and she ends up like pulling him under the mountain controlling him that is an interesting theory and it's not one that I had thought about before and I wonder how this would tie into the whole masquerade that she throws and when she has Lucian go and kind of act as like the peacekeeper between the two of them. Like why is she so hellbent yes. on Tamlin? That's interesting. So yeah, I felt that I felt that, that was a really interesting theory that could explain a little bit about Tamlin and Amarantha and why she was so obsessed with him. But maybe, okay, maybe Amarantha also hated Fair so much because she was trying to get... I don't think it was necessarily just because Farah was the person who could, you know, ruin her plans yeah. for taking over and break the curse. Maybe it was also because Tamlin was getting the feels for Farah, And maybe Amarantha made the curse... Because she didn't think Tamlin would find somebody who loved him or loved somebody back because mm. he was mated to her or bonded to her. And so she thought he wouldn't be able to find somebody else. I like this theory. My question, what would be the benefit to that theory being revealed later in the plot? And I guess it's a theory. It doesn't have to be revealed at all. I don't right? think there is a benefit to it. I absolutely don't think there is. Because one of the other theories that could have a benefit later relates to Tamlin potentially being mated to somebody else. Shout out to Amelia Adolph on TikTok. Tamlin and Elena's mates. Ah! I don't know how I feel yeah. about that. 
Have you have you thought about that? I haven't thought about it at all. Um, when you're making when you were making the comments about the dresser earlier, the of course, I was thinking about it, right? But yes. then to me, I was thinking flowers, Lucian, right? Because he is connected to the spring court. That's fair. I, I don't want to say that I love <laughs> the concept of her and Tamlin just because. It feels like her sister was... Oh, yeah. Icky. Right? I didn't really think about that. Okay. Yeah. Agree. I I wasn't shipping this to begin with just because I think Elaine's too good for Tamlin, obviously. But I actually didn't think about it as like, oh, that would be her sister. Ew. I also yeah. struggle with Elaine and who her potential love interest will be because I have a soft spot for Lucian. I really, really love, like, who Lucian becomes. I love Lucian. I absolutely love who he becomes. And I'm, like, rooting for him on one end. But I can't tell you that I'm not rooting for Asriel and Elaine because I really like that. I think that I like Asriel and Gwen more than I like Asriel and Elaine. Correct. I I love (laughs) Gwen. I love love the – the way that Gwen very shyly yes. looks at Asriel and all of Silver Flames. But I wouldn't be upset about Asriel and Elaine at all. Yes. Me either. It would be kind of cute too because it's like, oh, all the best friends are like dating the sisters. Yeah. But yes, I do. I really love Gwen. I think I was forgetting about our girl Gwen. And I do think Elaine is kind of warming up to Lucian. But I can't get over the whole flowers thing because it had very significant ties to who Nesta becomes with the Silver Flames and mm-hmm. Fair of the Night Court. And for them, it wasn't just something they liked. Like, it wasn't like, oh, uh, Farah's was animals because she loves animals or Nesta's was, you know, something that she liked. It right. was something that they like become that becomes a part of them so i'm trying to see how elaine's mm. maybe it's just innocent maybe it means nothing and she just likes flowers so she painted flowers but maybe it's something bigger no but that is a good point right like the the two paintings for farah and nesta they are very distinctive and i can't imagine that elaine and her flowers is just because oh i like gardening yes. right it i think there's too significant for farah's and nesta's foreshadowing and i'm mm. like okay what she just like she has a garden that's all <laughs> I mean, that's great. <laughs> yeah. We got our three books in Farrah's point of view. We got Nesta's point of view. I do think the next book will be Elaine's point of view. I hope I hope so. Hope. I I hope hope. so. Okay, I'm going to go down another real rabbit hole. Also by Hannah on TikTok, which I would have to go back, fact check, probably reread this section, but... There is a theory that relates to Sleeping Beauty, which I kind of like because we know that SJM got a lot of her influence from fairy tales where there and I don't know what the significance would be whatsoever if there is any, but there is a theory going around that fair was asleep between Kalanmai and the summer solstice. After she fell asleep under the willow when she was like, I'm so drowsy and sleep just took me over. And she keeps talking about how it was like the deepest sleep Mm. of her life. And then she wakes up and it's like basically the next day is summer solstice. But the timeline of that wouldn't make sense if you actually read through that. So I'm like, what is the significance of that? If she actually was asleep, does it matter? Or was that just like a little plot hole? I feel like that one I would need to do more digging into. I, I, I agree with you. I don't know if I feel like there's enough significance into that. I don't know if I love the timeline of that. But 
I love the reference to Sleeping Beauty because we know that SJM, yeah, we know SJM loves her Disney movies. Me too. So, and I just love when like people looking into these stories, not from a way of being like, oh, let's see what the author did wrong or if she like you know misspoke or something, but actually mm-hmm. trying to find like what these connections could be, if it was meant to be more significant. I don't think it was because we read all five books and it hasn't come up again. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, oh, it is. Girl was girl was sleepy she was a sleepy girl okay so a perfect little segue into talking about more fairy tales that inspired this book we all know that sjm had a lot of inspiration from beauty and the beast but i realized there's a lot more than i thought when i was looking at the story of beauty and the beast i actually looked at the story that was published in 1756 (laughs) that's a very long time ago and basically in this version a ruined merchant is forced to move his daughters and sons to a life of poverty in the countryside after his ship is wrecked at sea i was like what pop is it you I mean, that is spot on. That's yeah. some heavy inspo. <laughs> okay, so there is no wolf in Beauty and the Beast, but there is still a bargain. So similar to a treaty where the father is coming back from a journey. He needs a place to sleep at night. He stumbles upon this, like, what looks like an abandoned castle. And when he goes to sleep the next day, he's like, I'm going to pick this rose for Belle because she likes flowers, a.k.a. Elaine, and deserves it. So the beast is PO'd that the dad, the father, picked a rose and says, you have to stay here forever, basically. You're my you're my prisoner now for picking a rose. Like, okay, so don't go out picking people's flowers because bad things will happen. This is going on a tangent. But basically, the beast makes a bargain and says, send me one of your daughters and I'll let you go. So the father comes home, tells his daughters that one of you needs to go live with the beast and he feels really bad about it but Belle's like okay sure I'll do it aka Farah. she's like yeah yeah sure bet I'll go you know no problem <laughs> like just self-sacrifice left and right and in Beauty and the Beast Belle expects to be imprisoned because that was the bargain and she finds herself living large she's in luxury very similar to when Farah ends up in the spring court and finds herself living large as well and she also tries to get out of the bargain in Beauty and the Beast by saying she misses her family she wants to go home I think also the rose like let's talk about the rose from Beauty and the Beast thorns and roses right and like I love how SJM she put her own twist on Farah has her quote in A Quarter of Thorns and Roses, right, about how she says, um, why would you want to be with me? Like, I'm thorny and blah, blah, yes. blah. And, like, we attribute that to be the reason that that's the title of the book. But I love that it's totally a tie-in to Beauty and the Beast. Yes. And also, Tamlin literally has a beast form. Like, it is so similar. And I love it. I really do enjoy it. And maybe that is some, like, implicit way of making us love the book even more like it pulled on our our heartstrings of all the disney movies we grew up with Mm. i feel like that's freaking brilliant Mm. okay so i think that's gonna be it for theories for now although i know there are so many out there and i'm sure you guys all have a ton that you've heard seen or have yourself please comment them dm us on instagram like send them to us we are dying to know i think it's really hard looking up theories right now because there's so many spoilers for crescent city and for the whole sham universe and we are trying to steer clear of that because we 
have not read Crescent City yet. So please be mindful of that. But yeah, any other theories you guys have, we would absolutely love to hear them. And we can totally put them into our episodes and share with everyone else if you'd like. Okay, so wrapping up some of our theories, spoilers, our fun discussion, let's chat about what we loved about this book and what we would rate this book. So Steph, what is your rating? Yes, so I loved this book. I'm pretty sure I gave it a five-star review on Goodreads. No half stars needed here. It was a solid five-star for me. One of my favorite things about this book was just one SJM's writing and that goes for the whole series but she really had such an incredible way of making me feel like I was literally inside Prithi and I was inside of the book and I love that and my favorite quote from this book is from our guy Reese I can call him our guy without feeling bad he <laughs> finally said, finally he says be glad of your human heart Farah pity those who don't feel anything at all I love that so much. It's so relative to the real world. So I really like that. Yeah. What do you rate it? Okay, so I rated this a five star as well as you probably could have guessed. It truly did everything it needed to do. I don't think there was anything missing for me. It kept me engaged. It kept me guessing. And one of my favorite things to read is descriptive narratives. I could vividly picture the places and the people that SJM wrote about it was like watching a movie in my head. Like the book truly turned into a whole world and I can't unsee it. And I was worried rereading and also listening to the audiobooks that it would change how I viewed the world or how I like pictured the characters talking. And it didn't because the first read was just so ingrained in my head. I will say that this first book was a little bit harder for me to get into. And once I did, I was hooked. But I had just come off of reading Fourth Wing to all my Fourth mm. Wing lovers out there. And so that one was a bit more fast paced, maybe a little bit less world building and a little bit more action from the beginning. So it did take me a minute to get from that world. As many people know, they probably had a book hangover from that book as well. It took me a minute to get into this, but once I did, I could not put it down. I'm also convinced that the first book in any type of fantasy genre, the first 100 pages are just always going to be a giant question mark. So if you take that into account that you're going to be confused for a good majority of book number <laughs> one, right? And if you just take that at yes. face value, because you're just, you're learning so much. If you take that at face value, five stars. I love that. Star, That's such star, great star. advice, especially for people who are mood readers. I'm such a mood reader. So if I can't get into a book, if I'm not vibing with it, I probably am not going to push myself forward. So it is helpful to know that it is worth it. I will say anyone who has struggled getting into this, please keep going. It is worth it. Every single book has a special place in my heart in this series. And I just can't freaking wait for more to come out. Anyway, these two girls are feeling way too chatty. It is time for us to cap this episode. We hope that you enjoyed our bonus content. Our next episode, which will come out next Wednesday, February 7th, we will continue our book recaps with A Court of Mists and Fury, which was my favorite book out of the series. <laughs> so tune in. And many others, I think. <laughs> so for those of you who took time out of your days to listen to us, we love you. We're so thankful and happy that you're here. If you like what we have to say and want to 
hear more, hit that follow button on your favorite listening platform so that you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review to help us reach others just like you. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube to see what we get up to at Batty Girls Book Club. Stay batty. Stay batty.